Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. won't have fellowship with the things of this world because he knows that in our lives, when we have fellowship with the world, it brings about a divided focus and a divided loyalty. And back on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 16, the Lord himself says, nobody can serve two masters, for either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or else you're going to be loyal to the one and despise the other. And he's speaking about our fellowship with him. How attracted are you to the things, the ways, and the power of this world? When you honestly examine yourself, you may be surprised by the hold the world has on you. John issued a clear warning to his readers that they should not love the things of this fallen world. If they did, it was an indicator that the love of God was not in them. Today, Pastor David will challenge you to think about what fills up your life and whether these things push out the love, purposes, and plans God has for your life. Now here's Pastor David in the book of 1 John chapter 2 as he begins his message, Abiding in Christ. in the book of 1 John. I invite you to take your Bibles, turn to 1 John. Well, as I said, we're in the book of uh, 1 John. We've gone through uh, chapter 1. We're in chapter 2 right now. John's opening words, actually, to the church kind of shared some of his reasons for writing. We shared also that throughout the book, he gives other reasons for his writings. So far as we've looked at the beginning of the book, we've seen several points of blessings, several instructions to the church, corrections for the church that we needed to consider. And as I shared with you, just as we know in the Word of God, just because it was written 2,000 years ago doesn't mean that it's not valid and true for us today. As a matter of fact, that's the reality of the living Word, that it stays living and it stays powerful, works and moves within our lives. Now we're moving into chapter 2. We're down to about verse 15 And John is about to give a a pretty solemn warning, and that warning actually deals with some of the choices that you and I make in our life as believers. When we profess the Lord Jesus Christ, again, I think as we shared last week, I'm going to share it again this week, it matters how you live. The choices that you make matter not only to God and to his purposes in your life, but it matters in your witness. It matters to a lost and dying world that's all around us. The way you and I as professing believers live matters. And that's what we want to look at a little bit tonight. But even before we get into these verses, 
I want to back up again, just again, to, to really solidify where we're at. Again, kind of bring us all into that same understanding. Some of you have been with us uh, as we've gone through this. Some of you have missed a few. Some, this might be your first time, at least as we've been going through First John. So first of all, I want you to consider for a moment, I want you to refocus on the fact of who is John writing to? Who is he writing to? You know, in the Apostle Paul's letters, it was pretty easy to understand where his initial audience was. He would say, you know, I, Paul, you know, bondservant of the Lord and an apostle of the Lord, whatever it might be, he would introduce himself. But then he would say, to the church in Corinth. And we'd know that specifically those words were to the church of Corinth. But then we glean from that also what and how that applies to our life today some 2,000 years ago. So he'd write to Corinth, uh, to the church of Ephesus, to the church of Galatia. He would write sometimes to individuals. He would say to Timothy, my true son in the ministry. He would write to uh, Jude. Uh, he would write to Philemon. We have these there. They, we know exactly where they're going. So we look through that and we see, okay, what are the personal things, but how does that, again, apply to me in my life? Even John, who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, we see that he writes in 2nd and 3rd John. Uh, 2nd John, he says, uh, to the elect lady and her children. 3rd John, he says, uh, to the beloved Gaius. Uh, But here in 1st John, he just begins. He just begins writing. uh, That which you have heard from the beginning, and, and on and on he goes. He says, we declare that to you. But it's not really clear who that you is. A lot of scholars think, well, uh, maybe John was writing to the church in general. Some say that uh, no, more than likely he was writing to the church of Ephesus, where he actually pastored for a while. But in either case, I think we can agree on the fact that the thing that you and I need to zero in on, he is writing to believers, and in the fact that he is writing to believers, that includes you and me. And the reason I want to be so firm and so solid that you understand that he's writing to believers, because he's going to say some things in here that as a believer, it kind of tends to step on our toes. It's a whole lot easier sometimes when, you know, one of the writers of the epistles or some of the letters, they're writing, oh yeah, he's talking about the lost there. But when suddenly he zeroes in and he's talking to believers and he's saying some things to us, then, okay, wow, you know, that, not only are my toes sore, but my conscience has been uh, pricked and, you know, I'm starting to sweat bullets because it seems like he's read my mail because he's dealing with issues that I'm dealing with even now. So again, we see in this opening statements here, even the verses that we went through, remember he addressed the recipients as children, as, as young men, and as fathers. And we talked, that could either be, you know, different ones in maturity of life, but I think that by and large, he was probably talking to us in general, because again, in our normal growth of life, some sort of way, some sort of connection with the Lord, man, we are children at times. We are caught right in the battle at times, and sometimes, you know, we are mature in the Lord, and we're able to encourage others that aren't as old in the Lord. So I want you to get a hold of the fact he's writing to us as believers, and you say, yeah, pastor, you've already said that like 12 times, let's move it on, but I want to make sure you get the fact, okay? We read it here again, and John is warning the church, and he's warning with a, a very severe, a very direct warning. He's done it the same way in earlier passages here in 1 John. 
So again, I think uh, we would agree on the fact that John doesn't hold back any of his punches. He pretty much says it the way it needs to be said. When I read this as I've been studying it, is the fact that John would rather offend somebody with the truth than set somebody up for destruction by telling them a lie and making them feel good. And the unfortunate thing today is there are way too many pastors, both on television in large auditoriums, that would rather make you feel good than tell you the truth that will change your life. Right now, we all understand we can feel good in this life right now, but one day every man will stand before Almighty God. And if we have lived our lives outside of his will, outside of his plan, outside of his purpose, then that judgment will be on us. So I love how John is very direct. Okay, let me rephrase that. Yes, I love how John is very direct, but sometimes it's very uncomfortable. Does that make sense to you? Discipline goes that way. I want to be disciplined because I know that left to myself, it's a mess. Uh, And I love the word when it says a loving father disciplines his children. Children need guidelines. Children need boundaries. Okay, we are in 1 John 2. Look down in verse 15. This uh, new concern now as we've come through, it's for the church. And you know what? I, I can really see it in today's church. Very clearly. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Listen, you got to understand, the world is passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. It's an interesting word, uh, the word world. And John uses it quite a bit right here. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, there's like 152 times that that word world was used. It's the Greek word cosmos, and it actually has quite a variety of different meanings. There's another word that's used in the New Testament that's translated as world also, and it's used about 20 times, and it's the word aeon, and it simply means this age, this era that we're in. But With that idea of world, cosmos, that word there, the multiple meanings, it can refer to the entire universe itself, everything that we see, know, and understand. The cosmos is many times when somebody says the word cosmos, even now, we think, man, that's the universe, that's the stars, the planets, everything. But it can also mean just the planet that we live on in the context of what particular writer in the New Testament is writing, just the planet we live on, and or... Throughout the New Testament, we find it also meaning mankind in general, okay? Just mankind, not the universe, not the planet, but mankind itself. And in a moral sense, cosmos is also used, or even as it's translated, the world, through the context of many places that we see it here in the scripture, it actually refers to fallen mankind in particular, fallen mankind, or even the fallen culture that's around us. To kind of see that uh, dual relationship or the multiple understanding of it, keep your place in 1 John. Turn over to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Very familiar verse for most all of us. 
In John chapter 3, down in verse 16, in my New King James Version, this is the way it reads. Yours might read a little different depending upon what version you have, but very familiar verse. For God so loved the world. Okay, that is the Greek word cosmos. He's using it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Man, if you don't have that one memorized, begin working on it. That's one that every believer ought to have memorized. But verse 17 is just as important. For God did not send his son into the cosmos, into the world, to condemn the cosmos, the world, but that the cosmos, the world, through him might be saved. Now, it's all the same Greek word. We've translated all the same English word, but I don't think that Jesus came and died on the cross to save Pluto, you know, or or Saturn. I, I don't think that's the case. And yes, I believe Pluto is a planet regardless of what they say. I'm for Pluto. He uses the same word, but we see really the meaning actually kind of changes throughout here. And so bear with me as I give you the David Landry kind of version here. God loved fallen mankind so much, he sent his son into the created universe to mingle with that fallen culture. Not to condemn fallen mankind, but that fallen mankind through him might be saved. So we see this couple of different ways that it's used. And so that kind of helps us understand when we read 1 John 2, and John says, do not love the world. And then we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, God loved the world. Well, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to love the world, but God loved the world. Well, we're talking about two different things here. What John is speaking about here in his letter is different than what he spoke about in his gospel, and we'll get into that. Even the word love here, used in 1 John 2, it is actually that Greek word, and we've spoken about it plenty of times, agape or agapeo. Again, uh, we've spoken about it a lot. It has that understanding of a a deep uh, and abiding love, a true care, a concern, a self-sacrificial commitment to, always active, not self-seeking kind of a love. The word also speaks of that total commitment to. So when John is telling us in 1 John 2, 15, as he speaks of the world, it's what we should never be overly or overtly attached to or committed to the things of this created universe, and particular of the fallen culture that's all around us. And he uses that word agape, and I believe that he uses it you know, purposefully as the Holy Spirit led him with that understanding. Man, don't hold on to this stuff so hard that suddenly you lose sight of what God wants in your life. Don't be so attracted to and attached to the things of this world that your heart gets so filled up with this temporary junk that we don't have room for the Spirit of God working and moving in our lives. If you have that kind of an attachment for the things of this world, 
that system of values, that system of goals where God is pretty well excluded. Can we understand that? Yeah, even in this country, we are excluding God more and more and more. It seems like it is snowballing more and more every day that they are excluding God and the purposes and the plans of God. If we have that kind of an attachment to the things of this world where God is excluded, then the fullness of the attachment that you should have, that you and I both should have for the Father, it cannot and it will not be in us. They cannot coexist. God won't allow it. And this is where I want to bring you back to that statement that I was trying to drive home earlier. Guys, he's speaking to believers. He's not going out to the people on the street and says, hey, you need to give up of the things of the world, and you need to come, and you need to love Jesus. No, he's speaking to you and I as believers who testify, who proclaim, I love Jesus. Man, I've given my heart and life to Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. And John comes up to us just like he would come up to us, just singularly and purposefully and says, you know what? If you love the world as much as you do, the love of the Father is probably not even in you. Wow. When writing about this whole issue, even James, James uses two extremes. James, in James chapter 4, he says, friendship with this world is hatred toward God. So he even, instead of saying agape, no, James even brings it, hey, you know what? If, if, if you're even so lightly attached to this world, then that's hatred toward God. That's pretty powerful. That's pretty serious. You know, even as I was studying this over the last, gosh, several weeks as we've been in John, and I'm always reading ahead and kind of thinking what direction, praying, Lord, what direction. I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, okay, okay, I know, okay, in, in this area, in that area, man, I don't agape that part of the world. I know I don't agape that. Man, I'm not committed to that. And then all of a sudden, this passage in James came to me. He says, yeah, but, uh, you know, how's, how's your friendship with that part of the world? Are you hanging out? In there? When he says, you hanging out with them, you spend a lot of time with that, then really you're showing by your life a hatred to the things of God. That stepped on my toes, kind of pierced my heart, more than a few. Again, very seriously, particularly when we look at what John was saying earlier on over in chapter one about that whole idea of fellowship. Remember the, the koinonia, that, that commitment, that living life together. And first of all, you know, we look at that and he says, man, we have fellowship with God. We want you to have fellowship with God. John says that's one of the reasons why we're writing this so that you can have fellowship with God and his son, Jesus Christ. And now he's saying, man, if, if your fellowship, if your koinonia is actually with the things of this world, you're not going to have that fellowship. You're not going to have that koinonia with God that God really desires to have with you. God's not going to do it because, first of all, the thing we know is that our God is a jealous God. All you got to do is go back to the the Ten Commandments. And man, don't make any graven images. Don't bow down before any idols because our God is a jealous God. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Do you think God's going to hang around and fellowship with us when we're fellowshipping with the things and the attitudes 
of, of this world? I don't think so. Secondly, we know that our God is a holy God. Again, he is a holy God, and the word tells us multiple times that he does not, he will not abide, even as John says in the first chapter, he will not abide with darkness. But we also know in the Old Testament, man, he's holy. Anyone who approaches him has to be holy over and over all through the word of God, speaks of the holiness of God. And so he cannot be, and he will not be in communion with those kinds of things. The only way that God is in communion with the fallen culture that's called humanity is because he's in communion with those who are washed in the blood of Christ. We have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And we talked about that several weeks ago, about, uh, again, our sanctification, the position that we are in before God. We are cleansed by the blood of Christ. So our relationship with God is sealed. But what John is talking here and what I'm trying to get across here for us is that that fellowship, that ongoing growth in in closeness with God, that suddenly that fellowship is divided, it's separated out because we're allowing something else into that place that God says, no, that's mine. That's mine and mine alone. Thirdly, God won't have fellowship with, with that darkness, with the wickedness, or with the things of this world. That's what I'm trying to say. He won't have fellowship with the things of this world because he knows that in our lives, when we have fellowship with the world, it brings about a divided focus and a divided loyalty. And back on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 16, the Lord himself says, nobody can serve two masters. For either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or else you're going to be loyal to the one and despise the other. And he's speaking about our fellowship with him. Mammon's a good word. We use it all the time. I know this week I've used it about 12 times and casual conversation. No, we, we don't use mammon. What, what does it mean? I mean, we, we look, actually, mammon was a Syriac word that was actually the name of one of their gods or one of their idols. He was worshiped as the god of riches. Wow. How many people today worship the god of riches? Oh, I know my neighbor down there, man. He's always, and this guy over here. But let's let's bring it home. Let's bring it to the church. How many within the body of Christ still strive after riches and strive after riches, strive after those things that, that, again, they perish with their use. And once we leave this place, they're of absolutely no value. Striving more after riches than striving after the things of the kingdom of God. Albert Barnes, a Bible commentator, says that it is not known that the Jews ever formally worshipped the idol mammon, but they used the word mammon to denote wealth. Oh, he has great mammon, you know. Uh, So they, they used that word there. The meaning is you cannot serve the true God and at the same time be supremely engaged in obtaining the riches of this world. You can do both. Open our 
are so glad we could be with you today as we opened God's Word and dove deeply into its goodness and truth. If you missed any part of today's message in John's epistles, we encourage you to catch up on our website, theopenword.com. There you'll be able to browse our library of audio as well as learn more about the ministry of The Open Word. We'd love to hear from you too and find out how God's working in your life. Please give us a call at 520-836-9676. When you call, be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 520-836-9676. Is social media part of your routine? Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with all that's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find a link at our website, theopenword.com. As our time comes to a close today, Pastor David has a quick word of encouragement to share with you. Oh yeah, thanks Chris. Any time you spend in God's Word is valuable, and I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. By diving deeper into Scripture and letting it saturate your heart and mind, you'll be ready to take on your day as well as be prepared when the enemy attacks. If you're not sure where to start, you can begin by reading today's passage again, or simply begin with the Gospel of Mark, a short and simple reading. If your heart is open to the Holy Spirit's direction, you can't go wrong. Hey, thanks for tuning in today, and I hope you'll join me again next time on The Open Word.